This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss Gilead's newly approved hepatitis C drug, Sovaldi, specifically what, if any, are the public policy options to afford this drug. With me to discuss the issue is Chris Daw, most recently the White House National Economic Council's healthcare policy advisor. On background, late last year, Gilead Sciences, a California-based pharmaceutical company, received FDA approval for its brand-name drug, Solvaldi, considered a breakthrough therapy or cure for hepatitis C, hep C, virus that can and does have serious liver damage consequences. Hep C affects 3 to 4 million Americans, a disproportionate number of whom are poor or un- or underinsured on Medicaid or are incarcerated. Though it's estimated the cost to manufacture the drug is under $150 per pill, Gilead priced the drug at $1,000 or $84,000 for a full treatment regimen for certain hep C genotypes or $168,000 for another genotype or genotype. If all hep C patients were treated, the cost would roughly equal the annual amount Americans spent on all drugs combined. In the first full quarter of Sovaldi's sales, Gilead made $2.3 billion, or three times net income over the same period last year. Sales are on record pace. That is, Gilead will likely recoup the full cost of its investment in the drug, or $11 billion, in just over one year. This is unprecedented. Gilead rationalizes the drug's price by arguing it deserves a premium because of downstream health savings. With me again to discuss the public policy options to afford this drug is Chris Daw. Chris's bio is, of course, posted on the website. So with that as an introduction, Chris, let me ask first, though a somewhat obvious answer, why is Sovaldi's pricing an issue or concern for all payers, providers, and patients? Well, I think it's important to... Uh think about and remember the way that health costs are felt both directly and indirectly. Um, obviously, most obviously directly by, uh, by the payer, and that can be the consumer, patient, who has a contribution that he or she needs to make as part of their benefit design, or the payer who is making the direct reimbursement. So there are obviously direct costs, and in this case and others, those can be uh, you know, massive expenses, and part of the Affordable Care Act on the consumer side provide some protection, but uh, in truth, uh, a number of tools are available and uh, uh, basically endorsed by the ACA that allow for a little bit more cost exposure for, uh, for, for beneficiaries. So there's, so there's direct costs, but there are also indirect costs, which are that uh, in an insurance system, the costs of the pool are spread out amongst all of the insured. Uh, and so you may not have anything to do with hep C or uh, something that, uh, another, another treatment, but you are implicitly and indirectly financing part of that. And that's just part of the way that insurance works. And that's why uh, you have insurance for those times when you need costs and it can be shared across others. The other indirect costs are really uh, taking a, a program like Medicaid, as you mentioned, that looking at uh, significant new expense for this, uh, for this particular uh, drug. There you have states that have, uh, you know, 
it's kind of a zero-sum game for their spending. They have to have balanced budgets. So if there's a big increase in spending on the Medicaid side, that's going to come out of somewhere else. It's kind of a crowd-out issue. Uh, and so states who are now looking at a much bigger price tag for, say, Zavalli, Hep C, but it, this, it can be across other things, uh, they're going to see their other investments in schools, infrastructure, roads, teachers, you name it, under pressure. Uh, and the same goes really in the private sector for an employer. I mean, if he's, uh, it's why uh, employers who are, have over the past few decades been uh, bearing a steadily increasing rise in healthcare costs are worried about it because it crowds out their ability to invest in other things that keep them competitive in a global marketplace where others may not be facing as great a burden. So the costs are direct and indirect, but generally when there's something like this or, or health costs are, are rising, they're felt across the population, not just by those directly impacted. Okay, okay, thank you. Over the past few months, you've been involved in a number of discussions here in Washington among insurers, payers, pharmacy benefit managers, providers, patient groups, and others about this drug's price. What can you, or how can you summarize these discussions? Yeah, I mean, so I think there are obviously a, a number of problems and issues in our healthcare system that uh, the healthcare community and policymakers and others have been trying to deal with for years, decades, and, and have come into real focus in the last you know, four or five years. But it's important to remember that you know, our healthcare system still is the envy of the world for, in many respects. You know, amazing research institutions, the sort of dedicated, you know, passionate, highly competent caregivers and clinicians, I mean, and our ability to be entrepreneurially and innovative uh, in new therapies and treatments is something that distinguishes us. And so it's important to remember that, you know, a breakthrough, and I think it is fair to characterize it as a breakthrough drug, I mean, that's the way the FDA looked at it, of something um, like Sivaldi, uh, is important, and it's something that you know, that distinguishes our healthcare system, something we need more of. The question is, going forward, how can we really make sure we can afford our healthcare future and, importantly, be able to continue to afford innovation? Because, you know, the track record is that therapies like this have been, uh, you know, important steps in increasing health and quality of life. And so we want to afford more of that. I mean, the issue is that, in the, particularly for specialty drugs, there's been quite a bit of increase uh, even in the pre-Gilead-Savaldi data, I mean, you're seeing especially drug pricing increasing and spending on that. Uh, just take the Medicare program, you know, within Part B, uh, where you have injectable, you know, physician-administered drugs. That is a, one of the highest-growing parts of the Medicare program. And in Part D, we, we're seeing data from MedPAC and others that, you know, spending in the kind of catastrophic part of the benefit has been uh, rising pretty rapidly. So there's been quite a bit going on, but now there's, you know, also a significant pipeline coming down, uh, you know, of other potentially breakthrough drugs, especially drugs, um, you know, that, uh, that may carry really hefty price tags as well. Uh, I think the issue with Savali is it's kind of, uh, in some ways, the canary in the coal mine for this growing, uh, you know, potential expense on specialty drugs. But the thing that distinguishes it and which I think has created a lot of the discussion is that it's a it's a, a therapy that's being priced as in as especially drug if you will so the 80, eighty four thousand you mentioned I mean it's got a high price tag, but it's different from previous specialty drugs that generally they're specialty drugs so they're they're treating a relatively small part of the population. You know, we've seen really expensive cancer therapies come online, much more than Sovaldi, but they're treating a really a relatively small number of people. So all these is potentially three and a half million. So it's got specialty drug pricing for a public health issue with that many foot. So when you put that together, 
it alone, as you mentioned, could just could immediately double spending on brand pharmaceuticals overnight if all three and a half million folks got it. Um, but it's putting real strain on budgets uh, immediately and starting to get into some of this crowd out phenomenon. But it's also a kind of a harbinger of what might happen. You know, think about a, uh, on the one hand, a great thing would be you know, a, a pharmaceutical breakthrough to control uh, uh, diabetes and help treat diabetes. Mm-hmm. But if manufacturers can price that at whatever they like, you know, pushing market to what it can bear and beyond, that could overload the healthcare system. Uh, so it's so folks are kind of getting around the table and saying, okay, you know, we're no, there's not really a big push here for you know price controls necessarily because folks want to see you know continued innovation. Uh, on the other hand, we can't do nothing, and so what's in between? And so really, the purpose of some of these discussions is to say, and particularly the campaign for sustainable drug pricing, of which full disclosure, I'm an advisor to. Uh, you know, saying, can we get a multi-stakeholder group around the table here and think about what are some other policy solutions in between and have a meaningful dialogue about it? So you said uh, price controls don't seem to be on the table, but there are and have been in the past policy alternatives that have been seriously discussed or considered. One is to allow Medicare to negotiate Mm -hmm. uh, pricing uh, for its purchases. Many foreign countries buy uh, at the national level, so they get discounts from the manufacturer. There's the old issue of drug reimportation, and there's some other policy levels that have been uh, discussed in the past. So amongst these, do any resonate? Do any seem to be um, making a comeback or seeming to gain traction relative to being applied in this instance? Yeah, I mean, I think that, I guess it's, it's unfair to say they're not on the table. They are, they, uh, and they're, some of those policies have real merit. They just, they've been around for a while. They haven't gone anywhere uh, and so I think for the campaign, the question is, uh, are there some other kind of middle ground policies that might be surfaced here? Uh, and I think that the starting place is to really look at, you know, can we have a little bit more sunshine on this pricing idea, a little bit of transparency, right? So, you know, it's completely fair for manufacturers of, of therapies, break, particularly breakthrough therapies, to, um, as part of their pricing, think about how they can recoup some of their R&D costs, both for the particular therapy in question that has successfully come to market and for past failures. I mean, that's just part of the way the system works. The question is, you know, the, the healthcare community has never really asked or pushed, and the policy community has never really asked and pushed for some transparency around, okay, what are those costs really? You know, you tell us that you need to offset R&D and you come out with a number, but we have no idea what happened in between. So can we kind of dig in a little bit more? You know, what do those R&D costs really look like? How quickly you're trying to recoup them? You know, if you've had a couple of other drugs that come to market, are how many times is the system kind of repaying for your R&D? I mean, we don't know these things. So at a minimum, it feels like the, the place to start here is to look a little bit more at, um, you know, uh, at what goes into the pricing decision. I mean, uh, you know, another point to think about is if part of the pricing is based on uh, the current costs of the alternative treatment, let's think about... How, where that the current costs of the treatment came from. I mean, are those valid? So you can have, I mean, you can have therapies that aren't adding a lot of marginal value over time, but every year are going up 20, 25 percent, and then, then the new therapy comes on and is priced at that level. But I would argue that that's artificially inflated. You know, we haven't been getting marginal health value from that. So is that fair to price a new therapy on top of that? These are the questions that, you know, haven't really been delved into recently. So that's the focus. So if you do learn better what the costs are trying to recoup, which is the rational for the price, if the answer is that 
they don't equate. You can bring public pressure on the company to recalculate. Is that the sort of the effort here? Yeah, I mean, part of it is, um, you know, kind of highlighting, as I said, highlighting this issue that this is not just about Gilead and Savaldi. It's about, you know, especially drug and breakthrough drugs, which, again, are, you know, a major and important and critical part of our healthcare system. And the point is, can we make sure we can continue to afford them? So part of it is keeping uh, kind of light on this issue and beginning by surfacing, you know, some greater transparency and then having a really... You know, this, this is about putting the right people around the table to have a robust discussion about what it would look like to see a little bit more sunshine in this world and then what would be some reasonable policy alternatives. And part, quite frankly, that's, we're not there yet. That's part of the, you know, it's the early stages of the campaign, but it's, um, you know, it's trying to take kind of a thoughtful approach to this and say, yeah, and is willing to have whomever at the table from, you know, the employer, plan, consumer, and manufacturer side. I mean, because I think that on the manufacturer world, I think that they are and should be rightfully worried about, um, you know, the markets for the types of products that they want to develop and bring. So you use the word sunshine, and sunshine, you know, is a loaded word because <laughs> it has certain meaning as it relates to healthcare. The idea being that hospitals, there should be sunshine on the way hospitals price their services. So this then is a similar approach, correct? Yeah, I mean, I don't mean to, I don't have any, <laughs> it's, I'm not using it in a loaded way or to, to imply any other policy. Just just the idea that, that drug pricing has been something that is um, not well understood, not very transparent, and let's, let's find some reasonable places where we can um, see a little bit more for the public to view and policymakers to view what goes into that. But, but the end goal is to try to have the company or the manufacturer better rationalize their price yeah. for the public. Yeah, so I think that any time that, I mean, it's, it's a good thing when the public has more information, particularly as we talked about, when the costs of this are spread out amongst a lot of different people, uh, we ought to know what, what's going into that pricing. Uh, and you can start from there. Would that If that puts, you know, pressure on manufacturers to think about how they are hopefully really thoughtfully pricing, that's great. If it leads to a longer-term policy um, discussions and development, even better, we'll see. Let me, let me ask about uh, competition. Mm -hmm. So this drug at the moment has little or no uh, effective uh, competition against this breakthrough. So does this issue, this particular issue, this hep C drug that Gilead now has market approval, does this particular issue get resolved? via competition. So, for example, there are some oral regimen drugs that seem to be close to getting market or FDA approval. Is that ultimately the solution in this instance? Possibly, but, I, but I'm not sure that we can completely bank on it, right? I mean, I, there have been instances in the past where, where you've seen more of kind of a shadow pricing approach. Uh, so explain, explain what, what that means. So, so it would be, uh, you know, competitor comes on the market and looks like the market can, can continue to bear therapy at that pricing and, and you know, rather than playing kind of a, uh, a volume game where you come in and, and come uh, undercut the competition and hope to, you know, make up, the difference, make up the difference on volume, you say, look, there's plenty of volume here and everyone seems like they're willing to pay, so why should we cut our price and uh, we'll, we'll keep it around shadow around where the, the first to market have. So that happens and sometimes it doesn't always happen. And so we'll see. But I think another question is, even if it's not shadow priced and competition comes in, so if it's 10, 20, 25 percent lower, I would still argue that this is at an amazingly high price for this therapy across a really large group of folks who, you know, and you're seeing CDC and others talk about, 
um, you know, the importance of screening and getting people treated, and that's what we want to see. But, you know, even at a 20% discount off of 84000 that's still going to put incredible stress on the healthcare system. We don't like to talk about rationing healthcare in this country, and a lot of people say we actually don't. But what does this say about rationing care? I mean, there are integrated providers. There are some payers who are saying maybe for certain patients we shouldn't treat them immediately. More or less, we should take the watchful waiting approach. If and when their liver disease becomes worse, then maybe we should... Yeah. offer them this treatment. What does this say? Yeah, I don't, th- I don't think it really, this, I don't think this really has a lot of uh, parallels or impacts on so-called rationing. I mean, I think this is just a question of the scientific community and the provider community coming together and figuring out when it makes most sense to, to use a therapy, which happens all the time. Uh, and so, you know, I think you're, you're seeing some of the physician society, CDC and others trying to figure out when is it most appropriate to use it. Is it when you're symptomatic or is it uh, for everyone asymptomatic or not and you know let's try to kind of you know wipe the thing out through the therapy I mean that, that that's being sorted out but that to me is not about rationing it's about you know the best scientific evidence and then the question is for where this is where the therapy is most you know evidence-based being appropriate applied, appropriately exactly appropriately being applied um, you know is it priced at a, at a place where we can afford it today and afford future innovation let me push you. I did mention um, Medicare being given the authority to, to uh, negotiate uh, pricing for its purchase of drugs. Obviously, that's not the case. The argument, the counter argument, is that we don't want to stifle innovation and that uh, manufacturers need to recoup beyond their costs for drugs, as you noted, that didn't succeed and, and to invest in sort of future drug development. But what's your understanding of why this country, particularly, is unable to? To pull this off, you know, the UK does it, Germany does it, Canada does it, most other like industrial countries do it. We don't do it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's uh, it's this one's been debated uh, for quite a long time, and uh, clearly there are both policy and political concerns that have added up to not, you know, getting across the the goal line in terms of the work now on this kind of especially drug issue. Uh, the question is, can we? Uh, Rather than just getting caught up in debates that haven't haven't been able to move yet, is there some new new policy life to breathe into this? So, I mean, why that hasn't happened? Again, you know, there are folks who who worry about the policy ramifications of that. There are folks who worry about the political ramifications of that. There's not been a uh, you know a middle ground where folks on both sides of the aisle have found to push that over the edge. Okay, let me ask my wrap up question. Crystal ball this for me. Mm-hmm. Six months from now. What do you think will be able to be accomplished, or how do you think this is going to be addressed? Well, so I think six months, I'm not sure exactly the timing on the competitors coming out. And by the way, Gilead itself has another version that may come out, and I don't know if that's six months, but that will obviously be a, Yeah, a, Merck has one possible J&J, Bristol-Myers, right. amongst others. Yeah, I don't know if that's a six-month time frame, but you know, for the part of the campaign and the National Coalition on Healthcare, which is sponsoring it, you know, I think in six months we'll uh, have had... Uh, a number of you know public meetings and discussions, and hopefully that those include, and I and I certainly will include folks from all across the healthcare uh, marketplace, uh, various types of stakeholders who are involved and engaged, uh, and we'll start to think more about okay, what what does it mean to it's easy to say transparency, but what does that really mean? Mm-hmm. And then for, and the questions you're asking, okay, in a world where where pricing is more transparent, then what are if any public policy levers that might support that. So that, that's the goal. I think in six months this will be moving from just kind of like an awareness to a, okay, 
the right people have been around the table and, and starting to kind of hash out what some actionable next steps look like. Okay, Chris, with that, uh, we're at our boundary, so I want to say thank you again for your time. Appreciate it. Sure. My pleasure. Thanks. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.